Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Good morning, Very nice. ladies. I liked that introduction. I liked the dramatic pauses in between the descriptions <laughs> of what we would like our nest to be like. That was really nice, Marjorie. Yeah, I think um, it was more of a brain fart, but whatever. Whatever. We'll go with it. We'll go with it as an intentional little dramatic flair to the yes. podcast today. Yes. Boy, am I looking forward to today's conversation. We have a guest here today who we will introduce you to in a moment who is a longtime listener of Best to the Nest. Um, we have read many of her comments. We basically have like a side text message podcast conversation <laughs> with her going at all times. And um, and we're going to talk about something that I don't think that we've ever properly addressed on this podcast, Marjorie, because it hasn't necessarily related to our personal experience. But um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So we're talking about our friend Molly and her forthcoming book called Mom Jeans, as in G-E-N-E-S. And the idea of motherhood and mothering and what personally led her to have a lot of fear about having children of right. her own because of right. her own experience of being mothered or lack thereof. And, you know, I, I've talked about this a couple of times that I, I have a wonderful mother. I am so grateful for that every single day. And it was a very intentional shift from how my mother was mothered. My mother was not mothered at all the way that she mothered us. And so being grateful for that conscious shift and change um, and from what I understand, the history of how my grandmother was mothered, right? not great. And so I am very well aware of, of that change and the courage that it took to do that. And I am eternally grateful for it. And that's what our next, that's what our guest is doing. She's yeah. I, I think it's been, especially, you know, I got to spend the last 18 months of my mom's life with her mm -hmm. and I had a, you know, I had a tricky journey with my mom. She was a, a strong feminist, had four girls in five years, was Catholic, probably wouldn't have had four were it not for the Catholic stance on birth control until she mm -hmm. just said, no, no, I'm going to use birth control. And then I was the last one. But she, you know, she was a very successful businesswoman, was very focused on what women deserved out of their lives. And I think sometimes at the expense of being a good mother, um, I am not one that believes you can have it all. I think you do what you can, when you can, and do the best you can. And I believe that women should have the freedom to make choices. But I do think there's with this, with your generation particularly, but there is an acknowledgement that it's all trade-offs yeah. with my mom. I mean, it was funny when she was staying here, Elizabeth, at one point she said to me, yeah, like mothering stopped at like, I was kind of done at five with you. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, mom, uh, people now believe that mothering goes on beyond the time you go to school. And she was saying it sort of tongue in cheek. But at the same time, she had reconciled that she was not a great mother, that she was a neglectful mother. And, you know, I made peace with that when she went to, to therapy in her 50s. And we could have a really honest conversation about what that meant to me mm -hmm. and how she raised me. But, and I'll say this, and then we have to introduce our, we have to welcome our guest. I will say this, one of the, I never thought that watching a Robert Downey Jr. documentary about his father, and if you know anything about Robert Downey Jr., crazy ass upbringing. Yeah. He was talking to his therapist in, in the documentary, very sweet documentary about the last year of his father's life. And he was working really, Robert Downey Jr. is working really hard toward forgiveness and is very sweet with his father. And the therapist said to Robert Downey Jr., who was raised in the 60s and early 70s, said, you know, you were raised 
in the rebellion. You were raised in the chaos of that. You know, his father was an independent director, was using drugs. It was that time. And I thought, that's exactly right. My mother was trying very hard to find her identity as a woman. Mm-hmm. And being raised in that rebellion caused chaos for us as children. But it, it allows you a place of forgiveness in that. So Yeah, that's so interesting. And that idea of what's going on in your parents' life. Mm-hmm. And while on on its own, that can seem like, oh, that's a nice journey or that's a journey or that's that you're taking a stand or you're doing something. Or an important journey. An, an important, important journey. journey. And it, it can be important and still be extraordinarily detrimental to the children that you happen to be raising at the t- same time that you're having this right. sort of like awakening. It's right. fascinating. Right. Well, let's introduce our guest, our longtime friend. Her name is Molly Mogren, Cat. Molly Cat. I love her name. Great name. And she is a food and travel writer. Uh, she's got bylines in Delta Sky, Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine, Experience Life. So she's the co-host of a podcast called A Mess in the Kitchen, which is put out by Matriarch Digital Media. And she's got this forthcoming memoir that we mentioned previously. It's called Mom Jeans. It's just a great title, too. I mean, she's you can tell she's a writer because she came up <laughs> with a great title. Jeans. G- Mom Jeans. G-E-N-E-S. Uh, it chronicles her decision to have kids after growing up in an abusive household. And it is a story about breaking the cycle of generational trauma, cultivating empathy, and then learning how to be the parent you always wished you had. Isn't that big? So in addition to writing, she also does keep her kids alive. She cooks for them. She does all these things. She and her husband, Josh, are restoring a haunted 1903 Victorian house in Minneapolis because they are masochists, just like the rest <laughs> of us who live in old houses and have a strange addiction to everything breaking, costing twice as much to fix and taking three times as much time. Molly, welcome to Best to the Nest. Hi, Hi Molly. I am, I am so happy to be here with you guys. Oh. This is like... A dream. I feel like I'm normally just listening and 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 then still talking to you and answering your questions and things. I'm just, you know, usually in my bathroom or something doing that. <laughs> I love that. I love the image of that. This is yes. a tough conversation though, Molly. Um, totally. I think, I think it is difficult to talk about where we where we come from. I think as yeah. we try and build our lives with our next family, with the families we create. It's very difficult to be outward facing about the difficulties that we had to overcome to be able to try and have a family of our own. Absolutely. I mean, I was saying I when I I on our side text I said something to you about how I feel like talking being honest about how we were mothered especially if it wasn't uh, really a great situation is so taboo. Yeah. Because mothers are um I mean, we hold moms to a really high standard and, you know, we're all supposed to be like women are supposed to be built for motherhood and we're supposed to be, um, it's supposed to be like second nature to care for your children. And, and the truth is, it's just like, not like that for everyone. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So this was a hard thing for me. I mean, it it was a hard thing for me to talk about privately. I think it wasn't until I was probably in my twenties that I ever talked to anybody about this. Um, and it wasn't until just last year where I talked about it um, when I turned 39. Yeah, I talked about it more publicly. So what was yeah. difficult about your childhood? Um, you know, gosh, a lot of things. I mean, there were a lot of great things about my childhood. You know, um, I I have a great I have a big family. Um, we did a lot with my cousins and stuff. But, um, you know, on the outside, my parents looked and seemed great. They had, they always threw the best parties. Um, they were really outgoing and fun and um, really social. And my mom was, a, my mom's so beautiful. She's a flight attendant and traveled the world and just had this really like fun, exciting life. Um, but then at home, things were not great. So I would say a lot of what I experienced growing up was like more emotional, verbal um, abuse. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like my mom would get mad and filled with rage. And she would say, I mean, she would say things like, you know, I wish you were never born, like that kind of stuff to me. And it was just like a really 
scary, inconsistent way to grow up, like, um, like, uh, punishment and, and that kind of thing was really inconsistent. Sometimes I was like over punished or like a lot of times just like left to fend for myself. And so, I mean, it was just really, it was really scary to be at home with her. And I have a brother who had grew up in the same household that did not have the same experience. So um, it was also very weird to be like pitted against each other all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one thing when you're, when you're treated like that by your mom, it's, it's like very, very shameful because you think like, what must be so wrong with me that even my own mother can't, you know, doesn't love me in the way that I, you know, that I see like my friend's moms love them. It's, it's really, point... oh, go, you ahead, go first, Elizabeth. Well, I was just going to ask at what point, Molly, did you realize, did you start to realize like, the way that I'm growing up is not the way that everybody else is growing up because you don't necessarily know that. I mean, you're in your own house and maybe you think this is what being mothered is. Right. Well, I remember having a really specific moment where I realized that I, I was at summer camp and I remember laying in my, the top bunk bed at camp and having this like epiphany, I was probably 12 or 13 and being like, I think I'm being abused. Wow. And, and I just remember thinking like, cause I always thought, you know, abuse looks like drunk dad in like a dirty shirt, you know, hitting you or it just, I had this different idea of what it was. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, actually, I think that might be me. Um, and and so it just didn't really look like how it's portrayed a lot in movies and on TV. And, you know, before I actually hopped on this call slash podcast slash whatever we're calling it with you, I looked up some stats and and children are almost twice as likely to be abused by their mom than they are by their dad. No, way. that's a surprising statistic to me. Well, but, but it should think be. about it because it be. who does the primary who does most caregiving. of the primary caregiving mm -hmm. mothers, you know, single moms, that's like a thing, you know, deadbeat dads is also a thing. Like people mm -hmm. are, uh, those are just words we use to describe, you know, different kinds of parenting. And yeah, the, it's a lot of times, especially think about how stressful it is to be a single mom. And I think a lot of times abuse is driven by stress and being unable to like regulate yourself and not knowing how to handle things. And right. gosh, I, think I just, I think sorry, stress, continue. fatigue. No, no, no. I think stress, mm -hmm. fatigue, loneliness, money issues, mm -hmm. um, shame. Undiagnosed, untreated mental illness. I mean, women are, are, are have high, probably higher rates of um, depression, anxiety, all those things. I don't know. I Sometimes I don't yeah. know if that's true because I think men maybe just aren't identifying it. But um, I get that. I, that's so, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because I remember my mom talking about her journey, which has been very, it's very difficult for me to hear when I hear about like her life as a child, it was it very, it's very difficult for me to hear about, but I remember her saying that she used to think, well, at least I'm not being burned by cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's like, how messed up is that? But that's what you think. At least it's not like, at least it's not a physical thing, but because you're trying to go this, maybe this is, this could be worse. Well, it's interesting in the, we've talked about the book, Oprah Winfrey's book about um, what happened to you and it's conversations about trauma. And the doctor that she wrote the book with in the introduction makes it very clear that trauma doesn't have to be being burned by cigarettes. Like right. we, like it doesn't, everybody's trauma is different. And so that to me is what's really interesting, Molly, about you having some sort of realization on your own. I think something's not right at home. And I think for a lot of children, I know for myself, I knew it intuitively as well. It's not as if anybody said to me, something's happening in your home. Um, you know, uh, my parents as well, a lot of good characteristics, outward facing. We were what people perceived to be the perfect family. Four girls, all high achieving, all all right in line. 
My parents were very funny. They too threw great parties. I mean, it's just so funny. So there was this very outward facing life that everything's okay. And I think, you know, in the conversations that I had with my mom, you know, after she went to therapy, which I'm so grateful for that I could be honest with her, really what was, what was for me, the difficulty in how I was raised was very neglectful. And I think you, you mentioned something that I think is really important is that your brother had a different mother. All of my sisters have a different experience, even though we're only five years apart in a dramatic or dysfunctional household. When that drama comes into your life is how it hits you in terms of how it's crushing to your soul as a child. For me, my mom was coping with a husband who she loved, but who was a party drinker. You know, you talk about an alcoholic. That was the hard thing for me is how do you how do you define an alcoholic? My father was handsome, funny, successful, had his own business, but he drank too much. Mm-hmm. And it began to have an influence on their life. And he was, as a drinker, he would binge drink and then disappear for two days. Well, in my mom's fury, she gathered up the kids and said, we're going to go find him. And then sent me and my older into a place to go find him. How my sister dealt with that at age 10 and how I dealt with that, she was 11 and I was six, that inputs into a child's brain very differently. Mm -hmm. Scared the hell out of me. And so I think that's what's interesting is these family dynamics are difficult when we talk about a difficult parent. Because it's not like your siblings could say, oh, yeah, I understand exactly what you went through. Because like you said, it could be very different. And that makes it even harder, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It can be really hard because I think a lot of like what I've learned even kind of in recent years is that, is that, you know, my, my mom really blamed my dad and me for a lot of her problems. Mm -hmm. And it later realized that my brother also has blamed me for a lot of problems because that's just like, we were just pitted against each other. It was part of the family dynamic and another part of our family dynamic too much like kind of you were saying marjorie was like putting a lot of adult responsibilities on me who is the oldest daughter who had you know i mean my parents got divorced when i was about 10 so i had a lot of you know responsibilities at both households at my mom's i was always like expected to to like listen to her problems and kind of be her therapist. And at my dad's, I was kind of expected to be almost like the mom and wife there, like cleaning right. and making sure, you know what I mean? Like doing my own laundry and all that. So, um, which is kind of a strange family dynamic. Um, and you know, when I, when I got pregnant, um, which was in 2015 with my daughter, Arlene, like, you know, I, I I had been in therapy for a long time and I had worked on some of this, but as the pregnancy progressed, I started getting really, really anxious and it kind of all came to a head. My husband and I were out to breakfast um, and I, I said something, really, I said the C word, yes, that C word really mm-hmm. loudly at a restaurant because it was a word that my mother had called me many times as a little girl. And, Mm. and I said, I said, I don't think you understand. She called me a blank. And I, I just worry that when I, what am I going to do when I'm a mom? Like, how will I know how to control my rage? What if I can't, what if I, you know, what if, what if, like, how will I parent in a way that's very different from what I experienced? And my husband is an engineer and he's not like a feelings person really and he was like (laughs) he was like you need to see a therapist about this he was like oh we gotta get we gotta get this under control here so um yeah so i i mean basically I, i found this um this therapist who gosh she like changed my life and changed how i parent and mother and it's because um when I finally, you know, when I went to her and I kind of explained the situation, what she, she told me, and I think this is like a huge part of breaking cycles of generational trauma and abuse is she was like, you know, when, from what you're telling me about your experience, it sounds like a lot of things I see with um, people who grow up with a parent who has borderline personality disorder. Now I have to say my mom's never been diagnosed with this. 
Um, and I didn't know anything about it. I had no idea what it was. I was like, is that when you have like multiple personalities? No, it is not that. So she gave me the name of this book called Understanding the Borderline Mother. And she said, listen, you should just, just get the book, read it. And I mean, even just like the first chapter or two, and you'll know, you'll know right away if this is you or not. Wow. And um, so I bought the book and I, in my book, I say like, after I had it for a week and I went back to my next therapy appointment, I brought it and it had so many post-its and highlights in it that it could had, it could have had its own um, float in the pride parade. It was like, <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden I like had this, this kind of like guide that made my whole life before, you know, growing up and everything makes sense. And that way I was able to move forward with more information about where I had come from, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And you probably yeah. for the first time felt like seen and understood like, oh my gosh, I'm not making this all up in my head. I'm not because it's only you having that experience. Totally. Cause I, I read, I'm like, somebody wrote a book about this. If somebody wrote a book about this, there must be a lot of us. Yeah. And there, well, and there are. <laughs> well, and it goes to, it's that, it's that explanation for that child in you that says, it's not because I was unlovable. It's not because I did anything wrong. Correct. How she responded to me had nothing to do with me. And I mm -hmm. think that's really the key. That's the key part about it is you have to, as an adult, you have to reconcile why you weren't mothered in the way that you either saw other people being mothered or that as a child, you just naturally were inclined to want. Kids just want to be loved and rage I don't, you know, rage for any of us that have had someone yell at us. Rage for a child is so traumatic. It doesn't it doesn't have to come with a slap or a punch or a anything physical. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, anger that's erupting out of the adult that's supposed to love you is traumatic. Yeah. I mean, I spent I and it's interesting too. Like my, I've talked to my dad about this more recently, but he didn't know until kind of recently that I would spend like hours locked in the bathroom because I was too scared to leave. Like it, he just didn't know. Right. Um, it was, yeah, it was really scary. And so, and so the thing that this, that, I mean, that this book helped me with was identify that yes, it wasn't me that was causing the rage, but, but I, did have to wonder what was causing it. And, right. and what's interesting is you brought up that Oprah book, uh, what happened to you? So when I went back to therapy and talked to my therapist about it, I, you know, she said what usually causes someone to have this type of personality disorder is like trauma when you're very, very young. And I, my grandparents were like, totally amazing, kind, wonderful people. And I had a really hard time believing that they could have done something to my mom that hurt her. But the thing is, my mom was adopted. Um, and so like, that is a lot of what my book's about, um, was learning about that story. You guys, I'm going to cry. I know. Oh, this we, is what we do. This we is do what I do. know. Molly, you know this. You listen I know. to the podcast. So now I'm here. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> so, so um I so I've known my biological grandma my whole life. And um I learned so part you know, when I started writing this book about like this sort of discovery and how I, you know, moved through the rest of my pregnancy um in a way that felt healthier, but I interviewed her my biological grandma for the book, just to kind of learn about my mom genes, right? Mm -hmm. Where I came from. And I learned that, so she got pregnant after like a sort of one night stand in a, in a like a car. She was, yeah. uh, she was from um, Austin, Minnesota, hooked up with this guy. She told me they uh, got it on in the car. This is exactly <laughs> how she put it. She's like 92 <laughs> years old. Um and then was sent away to a home for unwed mothers, you know, 200 miles away where she was, um, she was 16 or 17. Oh. She was told not to share her real name. She was told um, that, 
you know, you'll forget this ever happened to you. You're going to just have this baby. You're going to, you're going to give it to a nice family and you're going to go back home and it'll be like it never happened. And she, um, so she labored for a really long time all by herself. And she said that she remembers looking across the hall and there was a, a woman across the hall who is, I mean, probably two years older than her, but married, who was just getting lavish with attention. And she wasn't, she was just by herself and had like this terrible bladder issue. And she was, I mean, she like couldn't pee. It was like a whole thing. And I asked her a lot of times, like I asked her if she was able to hold my mom afterwards and she wouldn't answer the question. And so I just, I like didn't fully understand the trauma of that until I had a baby. Oh yeah. And I was like, holy part. I, oh, I can swear. It's a podcast. holy, Holy shit. Yeah. Like I can't imagine going through that and having a baby and not being able to hold them. And then also that baby's first experience on the planet is loss and yeah. uh, abandonment. And you just think like, well, yeah, no wonder. And I kept thinking, you know, before I was like, well, she didn't remember, you know. Oh, she not- remembered. I know. I know. So learning all of that, I, I have developed a lot of empathy for my mom and for my grandma, you know, before I, I mean, I, growing up, I always thought like she was kind of like, I don't know. She also had to give up another child for adoption. I was like, oh my gosh, get it together. But I'm like, that is so unfair. And I just feel so sad for both of them for all of this trauma they were put through, you know? So, um, sorry, was that a lot of information? No, it's kind of dark and sad. (laughs) No, no, no. Because I think though, I think though, and this is where Oprah's book was very helpful to me um, because I too could find a place of empathy, of deeper empathy for my parents. For my father, it was a mother, his mother passed away when he was four in their home. My father's father was a doctor, so his mother was being cared for in the home. She died, not a great death in the 1930s my dad was just a little boy mm-hmm. and two or three years later his father comes home and says here's your new mother and Ugh. brings a new mom into the house and yeah. my father was essentially raised by a governess with a new mother who adored him but there was no communication about what had happened to him right and was raised by a very stern father who when my dad was at the university of michigan and said dad i, I don't want to be a doctor not only cut off paying for his tuition, which isn't the worst of it, people can pay their way, but threw everything out of the house. My father was essentially thrown out of his home because he wouldn't live up to his father's expectations. That's yeah. just cold. Yeah. yeah. And and then a mother who I found a place of empathy for as well, who started working at the age of four. You know, she was a child model, very successful. A lot of her worldview came about as being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. That frames you. So what happened to you, you didn't give too much information about your mother and your biological mother. What it is should inspire people to try, if they want to live a life of peace, to look differently at the trauma that they have suffered and to try and understand what has happened around them to the people that may have inflicted that trauma. Mm-hmm. How you come to forgiveness, if you choose to come to forgiveness, is everybody's own deal. But boy, does it feel better when you try and look at those things with empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been hugely helpful to me to just to just understand where, like where I come from, and and then also, um, it's you know it's helped me figure out what behaviors I grew up with that I am not willing to pass on, you know, Uh you're breaking the cycle. So how Mm -hmm. do you do that, Molly? Because, you know, I think, you know, even good mothers who are engaged, I'm just going to speak for myself. I consider myself a good mother who's engaged. I mean, mom rage is a real thing. And Mm -hmm. that feeling of out of control, 
I've told you this 16 times, like this, it, it, it is so difficult. And for you though, I mean, I have that feeling and I, if I yell at my kids, which I have yelled at my kids, I feel terrible about it. And oh, I did it this morning. Yeah. So I mean, it's like, it's do. how it goes. I mean, you all do. I mean, it, it, you know, bedtime is a real living nightmare many days, but you have these ideas of how sweet it's going to be. And then it's not, but for you, it's a different, that's gotta be like a different bit of shame because if you were, I feel shame about that as a parent, if you, I would assume you would feel that same shame, but then let's multiply that because of what you went through as a child. Totally. Like I, I have noticed that I completely freeze up when it comes to a lot of um, like uh, discipline kinds of things. Yeah. Like I, I am, I, I almost just don't do anything sometimes because I'm afraid I'll do too much and I never have it. I never have in a way that, well, that's not true. I've never like hit my kids. No. What I'm trying to say, yeah. Um, and I have, um, I know this might sound super basic, but I have like some default rules just with myself that I have set. Like one is I will not physically hurt my children. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which seems like, an obvious thing but like that's just a line I'm never gonna cross um and I've set I've, I've made that rule for myself um and another thing too is I've I've done a lot of work with um just kind of like planning ahead for those tough moments where you know when you're in that like rage like for me mornings is really hard getting my yeah. kids out the door like the literally every single day my son when he wakes up says do I have to go to school today he's four and I say, yes. And he goes, no. And it's just two hours of fighting on every single thing. And it is yeah. so frustrating. So I've done a lot of, um, like, I'm sure you guys are aware of Do Dr. Becky. Love her. Love I Dr. love Dr. Becky. Becky. Maybe I learned about Dr. <laughs> Becky here. Dude, Dr. <laughs> Becky took over my Instagram stories for a day and sent me all these videos to post. So she answered questions. I thought I died. I was, she, Dr. <laughs> Becky is a, she's a gift from God. She is. She is. Mm -hmm. And so it's really helpful to just kind of like imagine you're in these tough situations when you're not in them. Like, what are you going to say? What are you going to do when you're frustrated? Um, I Also because of where I've gotten really good at repairing. So if I yeah. do like yell or say something that I know I'm going to regret later, I'll take a few breaths and then like walk my kids through it. Like, I'm so sorry that I yelled at you. That was really inappropriate and I shouldn't have done that. You don't deserve that. Blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's the key. The That's repairing yeah, has totally. been so big for me, Molly. You know what I love about the repairing too, though, is because I don't, I didn't get that as a child. I, my parents mm -hmm. didn't like, I mean, it was just like if they yelled and I don't really remember my mom yelling much, but I remember my dad, my dad yelling. And I remember my dad being very stressed about his job and not liking his job and bringing that home. It was very, it was like a lot. So, and in so much so that I think to the point I am like overly sensitive. I have, I, you know, my therapist, we have talked about this too, to the mood that Jay brings into the house where I'm always on high alert and like thinking that, and he has to remind me, like, I get to have emotions, you know, I get to like, say if I had a bad day, but I'm like so sensitive to that because I'm like, blah, 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 don't bring it in here. I can't bring it in here. I can't handle it. You know, the whole thing. But the, the repair and then offering the context, not treating your children like little adults, but offering them the context of, oh gosh, I am so sorry. I had a really stressful day at work. I had a stressful day at work and I think I took too much of that home and I need to leave that outside it has been so helpful for me because children can then start to see you as a whole person too. Like mm -hmm. they understand that you're a person with your life without putting, you're not, I'm not putting adult stuff on them, but I'm explaining to them that I have frustrations and emotions just like they do. But I think too, and I, I mean, how we define adult stuff, but I always believed with my kids that not only in doing the repair work, if I lost my temper, which of course I did, um, but there was a period when they were very young and my husband was working a lot. He was getting his master's. He was doing, you know, charity work on the weekends. And it was like, I'm 
this is a, I'm this is a lot. This is a lot. This is overwhelming for me. While at the same time feeling very much like I was doing that the balance that the balance was out of whack. Which yeah. that feeling when you're already feeling that in your home, we're all I think quicker to anger or quicker to rage because you're feeling why am I in this situation again? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I used to do with my my children when they were when you know mornings were an issue or bedtime was an issue was I made them very much a part and this may be putting something very adult on them I made them very much a part of what I was struggling with I was very clear about whatever was happening or if something's particular happened at work even when they were probably younger before they could really understood it but I think Elizabeth you hit it is that you have to let your children into who you are, what you are dealing with. Because if your children aren't demons, which most (laughs) children aren't, they want you to be happy and they want to love you and they want to help. And I think that was the greatest thing. I mean, when I look back at raising my children, there were so many times and they're they're very sweet now too. I mean, because they're both so much bigger than I am. Like they're always trying help me. Like they're just, they're always trying to help me. But that sort of is a holdover from when they were little. And I think one of the things I used to do with them, even at bedtime, was say, okay, mom worked really hard today. Yeah. And I have mm-hmm. so much love for you. And I will treat you well. But at 8:30, mom turns into a witch. I love this. <laughs> I just have no more to give. So what you can do in that part, I need to get sleep. I still have some work to do. What you can do is you guys can take your little flashlights out. You can read to your heart's content. You can just, you need to stay in bed. You need to do that because we're a team to get through this night. And I think my husband was doing nighttime radio then. So it really was me after having worked a 10 or 11 hour stressful day of coming home, trying to get the kids in bed, trying to do all of that. And so I just think that the more you include them, it's not just about the repair. It's about a full understanding of who my mother is. And I think for me, that came not through a therapist, but for me knowing that I didn't understand my own mom and I didn't understand what was going on. And I was so lost in that relationship as a child that I just didn't want my children to feel lost. I wanted them to know. And it was helpful. You know, it was helpful. What a gift it is, though, to give your kids that idea of you as a whole person, because that's Mm -hmm. what we've really been missing. I mean, now, Molly, you're talking so much about breaking generational trauma, but I think a lot of trauma is associated with shame and a lot of shame is associated with secrets and the idea that you're not living up to what you think you're supposed to be. And so if we're seeing the people in our family as full people, including the parents, that's like such a dynamic shift that I don't think any other generation has ever given their children. Because I don't remember thinking of my parents as whole people. I mean, and to some extent, you're not going to because children are so self-centered out of just a mere, you know, their instinct to survive. But think about all the work that you did, Molly, to understand your parents, you know, to understand your mom and your grandmother as whole people and then the empathy that that allowed you to have mm-hmm. and 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 the bottom line for that was then the freedom that that gave you because without that understanding without that understanding you think you still would be holding on to so much of the anger um yeah yeah i think i would i think i would and um yeah you know the other thing too i keep thinking about this just time in the world is how i mean of course, social media and the internet sucks, right? In a lot yeah. of ways. But also, I feel like it's really allowed people to, especially moms, to connect and to be real about like a lot of the struggles that we have. And, um, and like through some of the, the people I follow that are moms or like therapists, or a lot of them are both, I've learned a lot about, um, 
even just being better at identifying my trouble spots and understanding it's I don't have these problems because I'm a monster. I have these problems because I'm overstimulated or like I'm not taking enough quiet time or like you're hungry. I, I'm hot. Yeah. Yes. Actually, you know what? One of my biggest, one of my biggest ones yeah. is, yeah. um, is clutter, clutter. Yeah. If yes. everything's cluttered or noisy, I am, I, I, I say like, am I going to be mean mom today or nice mom? And like, if the house is cluttered and if it's, there's a thousand things making noise and everything's just, and no one will stop Touching, touching me, everyone. Yes. I, that's when, that's when I start feeling like mom rage coming. Mm -hmm. And so those are things I really like try so hard to, to mitigate. That time alone, uh, that time alone, not being touched. Um, I think for me, Molly, you identified that was one of the big ones for me, part of mm -hmm. growing up in a dysfunctional household. One of my coping mechanisms was being alone in my own space and reading. That is just so a part of who I am that that I need to detach. And I'm probably a, naturally an introvert. And so that was kind of a hard part for parenting for me as well, is that idea of I have to, like, I, you just got to leave me alone for a while. Yeah. And I think being able to identify that of being able to find your space, getting the kids set, set up somewhere and identifying I need that now is such a healthy thing that I love that you're saying through the connections, whether it's through the internet or girlfriends or whatever, of being able to identify trouble spots. I think that's a really valuable, it seems like that would be something we would so naturally do, but actually sitting down with intention and thinking about what those are, I think that's really powerful. And for mothers that haven't done that, to identify what is it, what's happening in that moment when I feel that rage? What am I missing? What am I lacking? Like you said, is it hunger? Is it, I just don't want to be touched right now? Is it that I need it to be quiet? Is it that I need the house to be picked up? Whatever those things are of having a list of identifying those, I think is really important. I don't know that I consciously did it when my children were little. I think well, I did over time. We've talked about that here. And Molly, you and I have talked about this a lot separate is identifying those mm -hmm. pain points. And we've talked about it on the yeah. podcast. It's important. To really like, I, on a regular basis, looking at what the worst part of your day is and trying to figure out how to make it better, whether it's calling in extra help, whether it's setting up better expectations, setting up better boundaries, all that kind of stuff has made a big difference. I mean, I know Molly, you did that with mornings because your oh, mornings yeah. are my nighttimes. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, oh, what we're doing right now is so amazing is that my son getting him to school was such a nightmare because he like every step is like I don't want to put on my clothes I don't want to get in the car I don't want to get out no. of the car I don't want to get da, 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 da. four-year-olds are hard man gosh they are they yeah. really are yeah so um his little preschool has a bus it's like a tiny mini bus and we I don't we pay a little bit every day for him to get picked up at our house and yeah. it I've uh it's just why did so they change sweet. it for him? Why did Why they did change? It? Yeah. I don't. Well, I mean, it's just, it's basically like we end the struggle an hour earlier. First that's of it's, all. it's the, how did it change it for you? Yeah. Yes. That's yes. It. I mean, and yeah, it's just like, I don't, I don't have to get him in the door, unload all of his stuff in the, his little cubby and then get him to go wash his hands and then have to say goodbye and blah, blah, blah. It's just. Mm -hmm. Get Put him on the bus. Little Put him on the bus. Goodbye, sweet little boy. <laughs> yes. I love you. See you later. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Molly, I want to know about making the decision to write a book about this. And um, when you made the decision to write a book about this and talk about this, I mean, there's ramifications for that. You know, everybody yeah. has a story, but your story also involves other people. How has that been yeah. going? Uh, well, if you want the honest truth, it has been going that great. Um, so, you know, I, when I decided to write this book, it, it was partially because I just was having conversations with people and realizing how many people grew up in households that were like mine. Um, a lot of people that I've known my whole life that, you know, when I finally said something, they're like, oh my God, me too. I, and I just had mm. no idea. And so it felt important to write it. Um, I wrote it as though no one would ever read it. Um, because I just thought that was important. 
Um, and uh, the book is not published yet. Um, I'm working on it, but um, yeah, my my mother is not very happy with me. Um, which I understand. She's feeling like I'm. I mean, she hasn't read the no. The only person in my family that's read it is my dad. Um, and I'll share it with other people as I'm ready, but. You know, she thinks that I'm like airing all of this dirty laundry just to get back at her. And it's really just a the it's a much bigger picture than that. Like it's a, I feel like it's not a very vindictive book, though. It's I'm sure it doesn't feel good to have somebody, you know, like write about this tough topic. Um so I don't know. I mean, I struggle with it still, like with whether or not I should be even talk like I had a big anxiety sort of thing earlier today because I was like should I even be talking about this you know yeah. well here's here's what I would say on the other end of a relationship mm -hmm. with a mother who was recently passed is to all of the mothers in the world that have failed their children mm -hmm. which there are many we have to come to a place of forgiveness in that and to mothers of every generation who have been fighting whatever battle they were fighting. I mean, I think you have to, you have to, you have to too. And I think this is probably part of your reconciliation is look at your mother as a whole person. And the only thing you, that you can hope in any conversation that's difficult or that brings judgment or shame, that you can come back to a place of love and honesty and authenticity within that relationship. And I know for me, that once my relationship with my mother was authentic, what it allowed for was a beautiful relationship with her grandchildren. My sons adore her. And so that's the hope. Not necessarily, I'm not speaking necessarily just to your family, but to any family, something happened to you, Molly. Mm -hmm. And you have a right to address it. You have a, a right to reconcile it. And you have a right to 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 build a family that's healthy and good and whole. And the only way you can do that is by acknowledging what happened to you. Right. And well, thank you so much for saying that. Love will win. Yeah. Love will win in this. And ultimately, like it though it's been it's been hard with you know, just a couple very specific relationships in my life, I have probably gotten 200 messages from people um on instagram or in my email or whatever saying like just me talking about this is has really helped them um start their own healing process and that to me feels really important so it's know. huge it's huge yeah. and that's it and i think that generational that like break of the generational trauma is the biggest Thing. I mean, Molly, every day you've got these little tiny people, Arlene and Clark. They're very mm, cute. I love and those guys. <laughs> they're so sweet. And you are, um, you know, you're changing the entire, their entire experience of being mothered. And I think, you know, hopefully you're feeling like you're, you're able to mother yourself in a different way. Like you're mothering them, but you're also like that little tiny person in you who wants to be treated how you're treating your children that you're experiencing that and you're getting to relive that and, and understanding that like you were that little person and you deserved to be loved how you're loving them. And I think totally. it's yeah. really important to just continue to acknowledge the grief because I, there will always be grief that you didn't get the relationship with her that you wanted, that you didn't get mm -hmm. what you needed from her. And, and allowing that to sort of ebb and flow on a regular basis, because it's not like you get through the stages of that and you're like, okay, I'm done grieving. Oh, okay. I'm over it. I've moved past the fact that I didn't have the mom that I needed you. Right. You can feel that grief anytime. And I bet there'll be times probably you've experienced this where you'll, you'll have a special moment with your child and grieve that you didn't get that when you yeah. were a child. Yeah. Or another thing that happens quite a bit is I I'll remember something that happened and then look at my kids and think, how could you have done that? Oh, how know. could you have done that to me? You know, because yeah. I just, I just, my daughter is so much like me and I'm, she's just such a sweet, like fragile, kind person. And, and I'm like, I was in there the whole time, but I felt like, like I had a shell 
for a lot of years just trying to like protect myself or whatever. And I just hope she, I hope neither of my kids ever feel that way. Well, here's the power. And I consider it a superpower of being raised in a dysfunctional family. This we is put the, the fun and dysfunctional. That's what we say in my family. There, there you go. But, <laughs> but what it gives you is you know what you don't want. Mm-hmm. And, and the beauty is of knowing, I know with my own children, I was, for a lot of it, I was not perfect, but for a lot of it, I was the mother I always wanted to them. And there was such a joy in that for me. And I relived my childhood. Anything I ever wanted to do as a child, I did with them. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's the, that's the joy of you getting healthy is that you can start to leave, and it's a long process, but yep. you can start to leave that pain behind with each new stage of your children. You do one stage right, and you're like, oh, I can tuck that pain away because I did it, and I got to live it, and I got to be it. Then the next stage comes, and you get to tuck that away, all the while caring for yourself. But when I look at that, that was that was the blessing. That's a hard thing to say of the Mm -hmm. dysfunction of my family is I was determined to have a redo and I had a redo with my own. I'm glad you were able to do that, Marjorie. You're the bravest. You're the bravest, Molly. Thank you for sharing all of this. Thanks so much, guys. You're amazing. And you're a nester, which is just the best. I am. I am like a super nester. (laughs) Well, we should have like a badge for the super nesters. I know. Like a special badge. Molly, you're going to help people. You're going to help people. Mom jeans. This book needs to be published. If you're a publisher, you got to reach out to Molly. I have an agent. I have an agent. I just don't have a publisher. You'll get it. You're going to get it. I don't doubt it for one second. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, just like Molly does, and give us a review at (laughs) Apple Podcasts. You can text us the review or post it. We also really like it if you post it. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home. Okay, let me stop recording. So good, Mom.